0: All right, Uh, those of you who know me, uh, know that I like technology, and so you might be surprised to learn that I was slow to get on the smartphone bandwagon. Uh, My reasoning though at the time was that just because you could combine four mediocre devices didn't mean that they then added up to one great device. Uh, But you know, as you've all experienced, a couple years later, uh, I had no choice. I grudgingly gave in and bought my first smartphone. And then I started to see things a little differently. Yes, the camera was mediocre, but man, it was nice to always have a camera with me. And yes, it was not the best media player in the world, but once again, it's hard to beat the convenience of the one that's already in your pocket. And no, the internet browsing experience in the early days was not very good or very fast, but again, it's hard to beat the convenience of the computer in your pocket. Basically, In hindsight, what I now realize is that the smartphone was just one of those things I was not going to be able to appreciate or understand until I lived with it, until I'd actually used it for a while. Uh, That, I think, is a decent uh, analogy, uh, approximation of where the apostles are at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, They recognize that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the turning point in human history, They understand, too, that they have been specially tasked with spreading the good news that Jesus uh, is the Lord, that death has been defeated, and that he has made forgiveness available for sins. But as we move forward in Acts, uh, we start to get the impression that they don't fully grasp the entire significance of what God has done through Christ. In fact, Luke gives us a hint right away uh, in Luke 1, 6 through 8, uh, right before Jesus' ascension, uh, the disciples ask him one more time, Lord, is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Uh, and Jesus tells them that's above their pay grade, but he then proceeds to give them uh, what we would call the Great Commission. Uh, that is, their orders to bear witness to the truth about him in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, And even to the ends of the earth. In other words, while the apostles rightly recognized that that the resurrection had revealed Jesus as Israel's king, uh, they hadn't yet seen that his lordship extended not just to Israel, but to all the earth. Now, if you're a first-time reader of Acts, I think a logical question at this point would be, okay, But how are Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people, going to be made to understand and believe uh, that Jesus is, in fact, their king? I mean, if even Jesus' own disciples, uh, Jews raised from birth to expect the Messiah, don't yet understand it, how can we expect Greeks and Romans and Egyptians and Ethiopians to understand it? Well, it's a good question. Uh, But thankfully, God has a plan. We find out first, uh, as we looked at last week in Acts 9, that God calls Saul specifically to be his special instrument to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul tells us himself in Galatians uh, that God not only called him, he then later gave him special preparation for the task. And as it turns out, it doesn't hurt, uh, that Paul has a genius for talking to non-Jewish people About Jesus. But Luke tells us this morning that that's only one prong of God's plan. There's a second one we'll see today in Acts chapter 10. Uh, God has called Paul and sent him to the Gentiles, but God wants one kingdom and one people of God, not two. And the risk, as things now stand, is that you you could see how we could end up with one predominantly Gentile church under the teaching of Paul and one predominantly Jewish church under the teaching of Peter and the other apostles. And so to prevent this, what God is going to do in Acts 10 is to orchestrate an event that will demonstrate conclusively to Peter and to other Jewish believers who come with him that the message about Jesus is for all people that there is one message, one spirit, and one church for all who believe in Jesus. Uh, to do this, um, God chooses a Roman centurion and um, uh, named Cornelius and Peter, and he sends each of them a vision. Now, Cornelius is an interesting choice. Uh, on the one hand, he's a Roman centurion, and that alone is going to be enough to earn him the animosity of many Jews. His position Uh, symbolizes it just represents you know pagan Roman oppression to them but on the other hand uh, Cornelius himself is a devout man he knows only a little about Israel's God but what we learn is that he lived faithfully in light of what he knew and so one day an angel of the Lord appears to Cornelius and he says to Cornelius God has seen you he has seen your faithfulness he then instructs Cornelius to send to Joppa for a man named Simon called Peter, staying in the house of another Simon who is a tanner. And Cornelius says, okay, when he sends for Peter. And so having set things in motion over here, God now turns his attention to Peter. As the messengers were traveling to find Peter, God sends Peter a message of his own. Look at Acts 10 verses 9 through 16. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Now, I know the point of this vision becomes clear in hindsight, but it's worth taking a moment to try and put ourselves in Peter's shoes and to consider how deeply unsettling this must have been. All his life, he has followed certain dietary restrictions that he believed, number one, had been given to his people by God, and that, number two, were central to his identity as a Jewish man. Avoiding these foods was part of what made him and his people who they were. It set them apart. That was the point. For Peter, if he eats these foods... He is essentially erasing the line that God himself had drawn between Israel and other nations. This presumably is why Peter has to be shown the vision three times, and why even then he refuses to kill and eat, even though he recognizes the voice speaking to him is the Lord. Uh, I had an analogous experience, a similar experience, much lower stakes in my own life about 10 years ago. Uh, One day, I got home from work, I changed, I set out for a jog, as I liked to do, but a couple minutes into my run, I started to experience just severe acute pain in my left knee. Every time my left foot hit the ground, it just took my breath away. Uh, Now, my knee had been hurting for weeks, uh, but I'd been running through it, as you do, Uh, but this was different, right? Not only was the pain worse, it was the kind of pain that immediately scared me. I don't know if you've ever experienced a physical pain like that. And so I, I stopped and I immediately turned around and walked gingerly back to my house. I stayed off of it for the next few days. I tried to ice it when I could. Uh, but every time I would sort of carefully try to just you know, jog a few paces in my house, the pain was still there. It was still the same. Uh, and it was at this point that I started to really get worried And I had to confront the possibility, what if I never run again? What if I go to the doctor and the doctor says to me, shut it down. You know, take up cycling, take up rowing, but your running days are over. Now, I know this is going to be really weird to those of you who are not runners, but that was really hard for me. It was harder than I ever would have expected. Uh, It didn't just make me sad. Uh, You see, I had been a runner my whole life. And somewhere along the line, I had made that part of my identity. It was part of how I thought about myself. And so as I considered the possibility that I might never run again, it was, it, it, it was an attack on my own identity. If I thought of myself as a runner and now I couldn't run, what did that make me now? That, I think, is what Peter has to confront in these visions. Not just a simple instruction but a change in the way that he understands himself and his identity as part of the people of God. It's why the vision leaves him perplexed. What can it mean that God would tell him not to call impure or unclean the things that God has made clean? And just as an aside, I think it's really interesting that God doesn't drive that point all the way home. I mean, why not show Peter the vision three more times, nine more times, until Peter can't escape the conclusion? But God doesn't do that. He leaves Peter to ponder it. Peter has to take that last little step to understanding by himself. But what God has done is he has prepared the ground. Uh, He has prepared Peter for the task. He has made him ready for the job ahead. At this point, as Peter is mulling over the vision, uh, the messengers from Cornelius arrive. And we get this great moment uh, where the Holy Spirit kind of taps Peter on the head and says, Peter, the messengers that just arrived, they're for you. Go downstairs and leave with them. I sent them. And Peter, like Cornelius, obeys. Okay. And the next morning, uh, he leaves and returns with those messengers to go back to, C- C- to Cornelius' house. In the meantime, while those messengers were gone, Cornelius has again demonstrated his quality by gathering together all of his relatives and close friends, all the people that he cares about, so that they might also hear what the messenger from God has to say. Uh, So when Peter arrives, he finds not just Cornelius and not just his household, but a huge gathering besides. And before we get to Peter's message, I want to remind you that up to this point, uh, the church demographically has been overwhelmingly Jewish. I think if you were to guess that it was 99% Jewish, that'd probably be pretty accurate at this stage. And the main reason for that, of course, uh, is that those who believed in Jesus were under the impression that they had not switched faiths or religions at all. Uh, They had been the people of God, the descendants of Abraham before, and they were the people of God, the descendants of Abraham now. All that has changed is that their Messiah the Jewish Messiah, had come. And they had given their allegiance to him. So it should come as no surprise that the gospel had spread first to those who had been expecting it. But that's now about to change. And Peter recognizes that as he stands before a multinational, multicultural gathering of people. We have this great moment where Peter, uh, we see Peter put the pieces together all of a sudden, standing before this room of God-fearing Gentiles, with that powerful but confusing vision playing over and over in his mind, Peter gets it. God does not show favoritism. Look at verse 28. Looking at this group, he says to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not, uh, should, that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask then why you sent for me? Peter gets it. God had sent him that vision to prepare him for this moment. And in return for this, Peter gets just one of the great openings for sharing the gospel of all time. Uh, Cornelius. In answer to Peter's question, he recounts his own vision, and he wraps up the story by saying, "So that's why we're all gathered here in the presence of God to hear what the Lord has commanded you to say to us." You know, how's that for an opening? Uh, Peter's certainly not going to turn it down. He immediately does as he is asked. Look at verses 34 to 35. It says then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Then check out this next line. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He then recounts the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection And concludes with the statement that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins in his name. I don't want you to miss this. Uh, This is the moment that Peter recognizes that what God has done in Christ is larger and greater than he had ever previously imagined. I mean, in Acts 1, he's still thinking of Jesus as the king of Israel. But here, now, looking at this room full of Gentiles, he realizes Jesus is their king too. He is king of all people, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, and Romans, everyone. He realized that Jesus had brought salvation, not just to the Jews, but his words, not mine, to everyone who believes in him. In other words, what Peter realizes is that the gospel must be preached to all people Because Jesus is already Lord of all people. How can Peter refuse to share the message that Jesus is Lord and Savior with these Gentiles when God has already made Jesus Lord and Savior of these Gentiles? All right, I've got a a little intellectual exercise for you. Bear with me for a few minutes. Uh, I'd like you to imagine that you grew up with one set of very wealthy grandparents. Uh, you lived close to them, uh, you went to their house often, and, and usually when you were there, uh, you would play, you, because you became good friends with uh, kids who were neighbors of your grandparents, lived right across the street. Uh, you guys all got along great, you played together all the time, uh, you often spent the whole day together, first at one house, then the other, and you often, you'd have meals at their house, they would have meals at your grandparents' house, uh, and because of that, your grandparents really got to know them and care for them, and really enjoy watching them grow up. Uh, and as you've grown up, uh, you've kept in touch. You, you've stayed friends, uh, but your lives have taken very different courses. Uh, your life, praise God, has has gone great. Um, God's been good. Uh, you did well in school, you've, you got a great job, uh, your life has been stable, it's been financially secure, and you've been happy. But your friends, uh, for whatever reason, a uh, lot of them, no fault of their own, has gone a very different direction. Uh, they've struggled with illnesses and injuries, they struggled in school, they struggled to find a job that they loved, and then when they'd find one, the company would go bankrupt. Life's just been hard for them for a variety of reasons. And so years later, when you hear that your grandparents have passed away and that they've left a large estate with with plenty of money, the first thing that just pops into your head is that the family should really give a gift to these friends. Uh, And the more you think about it, the more you like it. Uh, You decide it's not only the, the, the right thing to do, you decide this is a great way, what a great way to honor your grandparents who you knew cared for these kids, uh, so you, when the executor calls the family in to read the will, you're, you're nervous because uh, you want to bring it up with the family, but you, know, you don't know how people are going to respond. People get weird about money, uh, but, but you're, you're committed. So you stir up your courage. You're getting yourself ready to make your case. But then as you sit there listening to the reading of the will, your, your anxiety slowly turns to surprise and then joy as you realize the executor just read the names of those friends and those neighbors. You realize that you don't have to have this conversation with your family because your grandparents already wrote those friends into their will, just as though they were already family. They were already going to receive an inheritance. My guess is that in the very early days the apostles were already realizing that the news about Jesus was just, it's too good, too big to confine to one nation and one people. Uh, We get little glimpses, we get great little glimpses like Philip, uh, the Ethiopian court official, uh, where they start to see that. But what I love about this story is before they can really get together and really hash that out uh, to decide if or how they should share the good news with Gentiles and how they could maybe incorporate them if they believed they find out that God has already made the decision for them. The Gentiles are, as it were, already in the will, already co-heirs with Israel, because God has already made Jesus king of the Gentiles as well as king of the Jews. As we return to Luke's narrative, uh, Peter is just wrapping up his message about Jesus but before he's even finished talking, we're told, something literally world-changing happens. Let's pick it up in verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, well, surely... No one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So they ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They then asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, two notes here. First, and this is important, it becomes important down the road in Acts. What happens here is clear to everyone present. They all get it. What's happened is that Peter proclaimed the good news about Jesus, the gospel, to a house full of Gentiles. And the Gentiles heard the message and believed it. And we know that because, in response to their belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior, God fills these Gentiles with the Holy Spirit, just as He had for the Jewish believers. And crucially, Peter and the other circumcised believers recognize that the same gift that God had given them at Pentecost had now been given to these Gentiles and it had been given in response to their faith in Jesus and in response to that faith alone. Everyone sees it and everyone understands it. Second, this moment marks a tectonic shift in the mission of the church From this point forward, the gospel will be shared intentionally with all people. As we said earlier, until now, the church has been almost exclusively a Jewish movement. But now, the act of God and gifting the Spirit has made it clear that all who give their allegiance to Jesus, Jew or Gentile, are vessels fit for the presence of God I wish I had an hour to kind of go through the Old Testament and highlight uh, how spectacular a change this is, but fortunately for you, I don't. Uh, So instead, I would just like you to do your best, think about the Old Testament, and think about all the elaborate temple architecture, the highly detailed sacrificial system, all the things that were necessary just to make it possible for a holy God to dwell in the midst of his chosen people. And even then, only one guy, one day a year, gets to actually enter the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. But now, something has changed so drastically, so drastically, that God is able to dwell not just among his chosen people, but among all people, No temple, no sacrifices, no ritual purity required. And what? What is it that has made that possible? Jesus. The once for all sacrifice of Jesus. From now on, all who give their allegiance to Jesus, Jew or Gentile, can enjoy the presence of the living God. And so Peter, no surprise, taking his cues from the Holy Spirit, uh, says, he orders, in fact, that these people should be baptized. These believers, these brothers and sisters of Christ, should be baptized in the name of Jesus. From then onward, from this moment onward, the church will be a multicultural, multinational people from all, as people all over the world learn the good news that Jesus is already their Lord too, that they are already in God's will, so to speak. And that the good news that the kingdom, his kingdom, comes with grace and forgiveness for all who believe. As I close today, I just want to leave you with two observations from our text today. First, God is present in our world and he is always at work building his kingdom. Uh, This theme, I hope, has been impossible to miss in our passage today. Uh, God is initiating it and driving it from start to finish. God prepares, both key participants with visions. He straight up orders Peter to go with those messengers. And then he pours out his spirit on Cornelius and the others gathered there in a way that obviously mirrors Peter's own experience at Pentecost. God's direction is everywhere. His work and his presence are obvious. And yet, for some reason, I think we find this harder to believe in our own time and place. And I suspect that's always been true. Uh, My suspicion is that we struggle when we are in the middle of events uh, to see and understand what God is up to. I think the bigger problem, really, is that when events impact us, we have much more specific ideas about exactly what it is that God should be doing in our situation. And when God doesn't do what we expect or what we desire, then we start to question if he is at work at all. But the fact that God isn't doing things the way we would doesn't mean he's not involved. Let me say that again. The fact that God isn't orchestrating events the way that we would doesn't mean he's not involved. Uh, My niece Ashley has a pet gecko named Gizmo. She loves Gizmo. I think we've got a picture, yeah. She loves Gizmo and she takes her responsibility to care for him very seriously. She's an excellent caretaker. Uh, And so when she found out she was gonna be going on a road trip with her family this past spring to the Black Hills, and she learned that she would have to entrust Gizmo's livelihood, his well-being, to her grandpa, she made sure to provide many very specific instructions on how to care for Gizmo. There were things that grandpa absolutely must do, Uh, There were things that that grandpa absolutely must not do, and and there were a whole bunch of clarifications on how and when and where he should do all these different things, including uh, my favorite one, which is not only was grandpa not to hold or handle gizmo, he was not even to think about holding or handling gizmo. (laughs) I share that because I think sometimes, if we're honest, that's what we would like to do for God, right? Right? Uh, When it affects us, when it's our life, when it's our situation, we've got some very specific ideas about how and when and where we would like to see God intervene uh, and take a hand. But it doesn't work like that. God doesn't work for us. We work for him. And the fact that God doesn't always work like we would, I have to believe, is simply because he knows better. He knows better than us. God sends Peter this perplexing and even troubling vision because he knows that he was about to send Peter on a mission that Peter would have otherwise refused. Nothing about what happens happens the way Peter would have planned it because Peter just flat out would not have planned that. And yet now, looking back, can anyone argue with the results? There's no question No question that God was present and at work to build his kingdom in that situation from start to finish. And God is just as present, working just as much to build his kingdom right here today as he ever has been. Second, God chooses to work with and through us to build his kingdom. In a way, I think this is a good illustration of the previous insight Uh, If we were in God's shoes, I suspect we would be prone to micromanaging and to doing everything on our own. But that's not how God works. One of the most common biblical themes from Genesis all the way through to the end is that our God has chosen to work with and through human beings. And that even after the failure of Adam and Eve and the failure of everyone since to faithfully live out that partnership, God still does not give up on us. In fact, you could argue that through the incarnation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, God doubles and triples down on his commitment to working through people. Think of our story today. Now, yes, God sends an angel to talk to Cornelius, but only to tell him to send for Peter to share the gospel. Uh, Why not just send the angel with the gospel message? I don't know. It's probably what I would have done. But God has always chosen to work through human beings. And so it will be Peter who shares the gospel message, not the angel. And I have to say, Acts, events in Acts 10 and later in Acts 15 suggest that that looks an awful lot like the best way to do it. Cornelius and his whole household still get to hear the gospel. But this way, Peter and the Jewish believers got to see them believe it and see them receive the Holy Spirit. God knows what he is doing and he delights to work through us. I'll end by saying this. Both of those insights are just as true today as they've ever been. God is still present and at work right here in South Minneapolis just as much as he has ever been in Joppa or Jerusalem. And just because we don't always see or understand what God is up to doesn't mean that he isn't at work. It just means that as usual, He knows better than us. And God still plans to work through us, through you and through me, to build his church. So be alert, be open, be looking for how God can use you to build his kingdom. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, once again, we give you thanks uh, we give you thanks for your presence, for your leading, for direction. We praise you as we look around and we see all the ways that you have are at work in this world to build your church, uh, to work through us to spread the good news about Jesus. What a privilege it is, Lord, that you have chosen to work with and through people. God, my prayer this morning coming out of this passage uh, is that you would impress upon us the desire that you have to work through First Free, uh, to work through us in our neighborhoods, uh, in our workplaces, in our schools, to build your church. God, I pray that we would be be watchful, that we'd be alert to the opportunities that we have to partner with your Holy Spirit in declaring the good news about Jesus to all of those who haven't yet realized that he is their Lord too. In your name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.